So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary, and my name is Mark, and I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life, and so what I do is I help you get control of your business, and part of how I do that is I let you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world, talking about subjects that you already know something about. But this time, we're digging deeper and we're getting into the nuts and bolts of details that can help you unlock your understanding and get out of your own way and start to really break through your ceilings and get what you want from your business and ultimately from your life. And so, of course, please don't forget to subscribe, give feedback, and share this with your friends and get this in the hands of people who can use this and who would also want to hear what you're hearing But I'm so excited to bring Angela Shaw back because we had a great conversation uh, uh, several weeks ago, but uh, Angela really felt like there was more to be said, and I agree. And so uh, Angela, who is uh, really a teacher of best practices, really good human resources, uh, a servant leader uh, in her style and in her life, um, really sees herself as the poster child for the underrepresented and really puts herself out there in the public eye to, to serve those who are not otherwise seen. She is a TEDx speaker, a public speaker in general, a volunteer leader. Um, She is an advocate, a disruptor, and first and foremost, as we discussed last time, a black woman in America today. And I'm so glad to have you here. And I want to talk about all that's going on in the world. Welcome, Angela. Thank you, Mark. I'm so glad to be back and I'm ready to talk. So before we started recording, we were talking about all kinds of political things because today is interesting day. This is this is a day late in the week after a dumpster fire of a presidential debate. It is the day that President Trump has announced that he uh, has the COVID virus. <laughs> so I, I, I'm laughing now because it seems it's ironic to some extent, but at the same time, I do want to uh, honor that it could be very serious for him. And, and if that's the case, I, I don't want to, to make light of that. So well, people are saying that they believe yeah. it's not true, that it's some sort of a political ruse, which what? I, don't, I don't even know how I feel about that. I'm like, I would not want somebody to be not telling the truth about that. I think it's a sign, too, of just how challenging and crazy and different things are and how people don't have any hope. And it's just a sad time, I think, for everybody. Well, it, yeah, it's disruptive. I mean, that's, that's this week has been a time of disruption, for sure. People wanted to learn something about the presidential candidates. That's not what happened. Uh, you know, people wanted some sense of stability and leadership moving forward and see these debates. And, and, you know, the president of the United States now is in quarantine. And that's disruptive. And you know, there's, no, there's no upside to that. I mean, people could probably, oh, that's what the guy deserves. And, and other people, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. The fact is, it's, it's disruptive. It's, it's really not helpful to anyone any side so i mean mark i'm I'm sure he's gonna tweet for us though so we'll still get some communication from him yeah well for sure and who knows how it'll unfold in the next couple of days because we we saw how you know political leaders like uh jair bolsonaro if i said that right uh the, the president of brazil just you know in and out no sweat uh um suddenly i'm blanking on the the prime minister of, of england he, you know he, he was tough for him and um so he was like you know that was no joke <laughs> i was, yeah. it was touch and go for me so uh it's it's interesting right now what that can do to how people um feel yeah absolutely um it, it is i don't want to have COVID 19 but it is just scary to i don't know i don't even know if i have real thoughts i mean it is hard to even try to articulate some stuff right now 
Well, so how does back it, to the sadness, the sadness for sure. So, so what does this do for, cause we've got a lot of threads and part of this whole conversation started was let's talk about race and in, in, yeah. particularly in the workplace. And I, and I love to bring this, the, the, the tip of the spear for me is small business and, and race and particularly what it's like to be black in a small business. And even in what is that world like, but there's a, there is a big context to this. There is political, well, there's, there's political transition uh, and, and concern. There is a pandemic and there are major race relations currents flowing and there is potential unrest and there is the, the threat of a concern of law and order. I mean, it is a stew of really important destabilizing issues. So what is it like for you maybe to think about, Hey, we've got a cause and it's kind of windy outside. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. Cause it goes back into a little bit of what we were talking about before we started recording. I'm not new to any of this stuff that's going on. These are things that I've known about and been a part of my entire career, my entire life. I think what's really different for me is that more people are wanting to talk about it. More people are wanting to learn and hopefully fingers crossed, more people want to see action and movement. Um, We talk about politics a lot and there's definitely a lot going on in politics. But I think when it talks about being black and when we talk about being black at a job every day in your life, that's not political. We're talking about common human decency. We're talking about equality, the ability to be yourself and go to work every day to feel valued and included. That's not political. And so even as I think about everything that's going on in the world, that is my everyday life. I don't first think about who's running for president. I think about what is it going to be like for me going to work today? Am I going to deal with some microaggressions, some unconscious bias? Am I going to have to set somebody straight about something that they're confused about related to me and race? That Those are my thoughts, you know, every morning when I wake up. And that's been my entire existence. I have baggage and I take it with me every single day in every situation. And so that's what that's the point that changed the game for me. When you and I first spoke a couple months ago, it was the framing of this is not about a, um, a, a battle cry. Black Lives Matter. Because uh, I actually started to believe that you, the, those battle cries, as important as they are to rally the troops, are actually they make it harder for the other side to hear because it does sound like they have to be defend to defend against some sort of some movement that potentially is going to encroach upon their freedoms or their whatever. Right. But we're hearing your description of like, no, this is a second by second thing. This is this is not about a movement as as much as it is about. Every heartbeat, every breath, when I wake up, when I, when I, everywhere I go, every second of the day, I'm a black person having to deal with that reality. And it's, and it's something you never get to turn off. And it's pervasive. And I mean, I want to talk about like some things in the news that are examples of how this is pervasive to people, right? So I'm sure everybody's heard the CEO of Wells Fargo in a memo said that the reason why or a reason why Wells Fargo's diversity numbers are bad is because there's a limited pool of black talent. Like he put those, those words in writing. He didn't say minorities. He didn't say people of color. He said black talent. How do you think that makes every single black person who sees value in themselves who apply for a job at Wells Fargo? Their ATS system didn't find them to be black talent. (laughs) They weren't able to come into the door. And now the CEO makes this broad statement about black talent. That's the kind of stuff that happens every day. And if it well, happens on... Well, so I'd love to unpack that. So so I know there's people who listen to this who would be like, well, 
what maybe there isn't like i've done interviews and i didn't get access to i did, i had to, i had 20 candidates and three were black and so they're they're thinking well that might be true so what oops i just hit the mic what is the truth and you're in HR, so you're recruiting, you're getting these numbers in. Where is, the, where is the black talent? What are the things that could potentially prevent somebody from finding this talented black people that we believe are out there? I think they prevent themselves because they're not looking for it <laughs> because they haven't been intentional about it, about it. Now, if we look at metrics, obviously, races are called minority for a reason, right? There, right, are, less exactly. of, there are less of us, right? We recognize that. <laughs> But I think what black people would tell you is I've tried to get into these doors as as talent and have not been allowed in. And we have been intentionally left out. And now you're telling me that it's because you're not out there. We're here. I'm here. We're here. That part I know. You have to be intentional about looking for this limited talent. And if we know diversity numbers say you perform better if you have a diverse team, if there's a limited number, Mark, why are you not looking for that limited number? Okay, you're, so, throwing so, up, you're throwing up your hands and saying it just doesn't exist and I'm using that as my excuse. Okay, so there's a lot here. And I want to make sure we do this slow enough to get the nuggets and not skip over uh, the critically profound pieces. It's risky territory where I'm at. And so I want you to call me out <laughs> if I say something. You're like, nah, that doesn't say that's super racist, Mark. What'd you just say? <laughs> uh, so I, I think I don't want to make this all about the smallest businesses because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking most my world are businesses that are typically under about 500 people on average between about 10 and 250 people in the company. So an entrepreneurial organization who is thinking something like, well, I need talent and I'm not concerned necessarily with my, my, my primary concern is the best talent at a, at a decent price to get a good product out the door so I can have a profitable business. And if I can do that in a socially conscious way, great. But that's not my primary goal. My primary goal is like, I kind of need to run this dang business. And so I think there's a perception, and I, I certainly would have felt this when I ran my business, that if I had to bring on a DEI a project or, or um, initiative to hire, it would have felt like added cost like i just like i just need the most efficient effective way to get people in the door who can do the job and so it sounds like there might be some learning that needs to happen that could be expensive in terms of time and energy what does that look like (laughs) i don't it's a hard question to answer it's like i hear your question mark but that's not what i want to say (laughs) okay i'm I'm gonna try to answer your question though i'm gonna try to answer your question I want to the make first, this super. The whole point of the, about the question is to make it super practical. I want the. I want to. Yeah. I want a, a person who's got a fifty or a hundred people in their company and say like, this makes perfect sense. You know, this is this is high value stuff, right. and and it's as accessible and not bureaucratic and not some right. giant Fortune one hundred company re, you know not, regulation yes. affirmative action program. I got to bring right. in. I want to be practical and impactful. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is I feel like the priority should change. So I feel like the priority should be that you want to have a diverse staff. So that's the first part is changing your mindset about that. Because I do a- believe that. My experience yeah. is that diverse so, workforce for me has always been okay. a better workforce. I have experienced so, that for sure. So if that's the mindset to start with, that's going to help you in your hiring practices, right? So hiring practices as they exist, leave people out. It, it doesn't include people. So what are the things that you can do to make sure that the talent pool is diverse, which helps you hire more diverse talent. So if the pool, you open a job, you have 100 applicants and there's no 
diverse people in that pool, you're probably not going to hire a diverse person. If you use recommendations and everybody already existing is white, you're not going to be okay. okay so, that, so that's that's a problem. It's like a filter bubble, right? right? So yes. like, I, I only know the people I know, and all the right. people. And I had that problem. I'll be totally. I was like, I want to have some black people on my show, and I went to my yeah. LinkedIn, and guess what was not in my LinkedIn? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, black dang. People, I- <laughs> And now you know me, so there you go. Like, yeah, well, that's but, right. But I had to ask. I had to find you. I had to ask, and, like, do you know any black people who talk you, to though? me on this subject? This is it's embarrassing what I'm saying. You were intentional. Yeah. But you were intentional. So you said, I want this. And you were intentional about looking for it. And you found it. And I'm sure you found a lot, right? So it's out there. The It has to change that we have to be intentional about it. We can't just leave it to the structures and practices that have been in place because they're set up to leave people out and not just black people, but minorities as a whole, even women to a certain extent. So, I mean, you have to be intentional in changing that. So one, having the diverse mindset and wanting it, and then two, being intentional about it. And I think, you know, if you do some grassroots kind of learning and thinking, you may or may not need this DEI consultant. But if you do need the consultant, spend the money because isn't it the same as you'd spend money on anything else that could be of value to your business that would pay off and help? Well, I, so, I think there's two critical ingredients, and, and you've said this, but it's worth highlighting. You got to have belief. You got to yes. have belief that this is something for your benefit, and uh, and yeah, and I think that if you don't have that, it's it's kind of over. And even once you get diverse talent, if you don't treat them right, they're going to leave you. So back to my favorite example of Wells Fargo. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the last year, they have had uh, seven um, like high-powered black women leave their organization in the last 12 months. That's telling you something. So the talent pool is limited because that's what our CEO believes. We are here doing things. And now we're leaving because we don't feel included. You know, that's the next part of it is that once you get the diversity, let's make sure people feel included and they're valued. Um, so I, how does that happen? Because I, I, I think I said something in our last interview about um, when I first started intentionally years ago, 15 years ago, maybe I was starting to interview and I thought, you know, this diverse workforce thing works for me. <laughs> I really, and it's not just about black people. And yeah. it was kind of anything. It was like I, everybody yeah. with different perspective. I would, when I looked around the room and it felt good to me, I was like, it's really all these different perspectives. And I, well, I, I didn't even have, a, I actually didn't even have science for it. I just knew that it was better and it felt yeah. good and we had better results. And so I was like, cool, just check. <laughs> like, I don't need to overthink this. It just feels good. So let's do it. So I would, so I went and had intentional conversations and I would find myself talking to, let's say a black individual. And I would think, um, oh gosh, this person says axe. That's uncomfortable to me. Do I say something? <laughs> they they want to ask me a question, and I'm, and that's a huge hot button, right? So actually, maybe we should go there. Um, do I just let that go? Uh, and how, do I judge that? Do I filter that out? Do I filter that in? And I still, and actually, to be honest, 15 years later, well, I hired that guy. He was a great guy. Um, I never brought up the subject, and I still feel weird about it. So what should I have done there? So the, the point of the question is, when you're, when you're uncomfortable with cultural differences, it's destabilizing. And so it, it, that's, that, that's a barrier to continuing the process. What about it makes you uncomfortable? I, I think that's yeah. where I would start. I would start there. I would start with you. Yeah, like, it's, it's judgment. Of, it's judgment. Absolutely. So I judge. It about them. It's judgment. It's it's judgment. It is stereotyping. It's all that stuff. Um, it's it's 
you know, cultural norms when people, you know, it's, you know, grammar It's like if somebody uses proper grammar, that's an indication of education and other things. It's, it's part of it's prejudice. It's which I mean, in a very neutral sense, like you take a small amount of information and you use it to predict a larger number of outcomes, which is what we do in an interview process. We like, what are your grades? You know, what's what we are the we're t- yeah, what did your last boss say about you? That's prejudicial for us to make a good judgment about whether this is a good hire or not. So that was one of those pieces of information that was uncomfortable to me because I grew up in a world where no one said that. And now I've got people who do say it. I don't know what to make of it because it's not a word I'm used to. So what would what do you what's your recommendation? Like today, somebody comes into the job interview process and you say, you know, is it reasonable to say we have a certain type of language we use with our clients? And I would prefer that you said pronounce the word ask as opposed to ax or or what what's what's your advice there? And I'm way out of my yeah, comfort zone. I literally right now. <laughs> would I literally would never do that. Okay. And it never like would even cross my mind to do that. It's like somebody having an accent. I mean, would you ask somebody with an accent not to use their accent? Well, that's a great question. They do that all the time. They do that all the time in cultural uh, neutralization. It, they, they well, they do it, in, in, so in the Indian outsourcing, they do that all the time. They say you, that my my clients cannot hear you. They cannot understand you. You're using Indian versions of the words uh, uh, of, of English because India actually has its own version of English. It's not American English, and so when they train call center employees in India to handle uh, American calls, they they teach them a new version of English and they neutralize the accent. So they do exactly that. Well, the new version of Eng- a new version of English versus them having an accent is something a little different. Well, they do um, both. They do both. They neutralize the accent. In the Philippines, the same way. They teach them the American English and they teach them the American accent because they want social um, comfort. Because, you, yeah. because if, you, if you ever had that experience, you, you, you'd, you've got a technical support issue and you get a thick accent. You're like, uh-oh, this isn't good. <laughs> so... I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to. I mean, everybody draws their line in the sand, Mark. Yeah, that's my line in the sand. I mean, I just feel like making people. That's the whole. You are assimilating. You're not keeping yourself. I just can't. You know, yeah, so I, I agree. Think, I agree. I what is that, the difference between assimilation? <laughs> and I, I agree. I don't think assimilation is good, and I see this in the Jewish world as well, and 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 every culture who wants to protect their ethnicity. Right, their 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 cultural values. You're protecting it. You're even making them sacred and holding them at, at, at a higher level of esteem in the face of of assimilation. And then there is practicality of here's the job. Here is what we're trying to do. And if you show up on the call in India and you are speaking in your Indian version of English, my customers will not stay because they will not trust the outcome of your tech support call. And so we have to teach you a different language. And so those are very different, but they look very similar. Yes. And again, I'm going to say there is a difference between teaching somebody the English way to say a word and telling somebody not to say acts. I mean, I'm going to say there's a difference there, too. Like, it's a nuance, but there is a difference there. Because somebody, so, so, say, somebody saying acts doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to work. They're not going to be able to do their job. Well, it depends on what their job is. Uh, because part of the job of of an individual might be to represent a company with a certain, you know, in a certain circumstance. Um and, and, I, and I, I know this is super gray, and I'm intentionally kind of keeping in the super gray area because it's okay. I, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell my line. I mean, I, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and again, it's based on just my experiences and things I've been through, just the way, same way yours is. And I think that we cannot be so, um, 
you say it's gray, but I actually think it's very specific. Um, so I, <laughs> Did you so just not say black and white? You just <laughs> very. Sp- <laughs> I heard not that purpose, very specific, purpose, but it's actually but. not <laughs> very dark. I, and very light. I feel like yes, but I feel like it is actually very specific. <laughs> somebody using a cultural word, now, and I feel like it's not the same as say yeah. using um, cuss words or. You know, the difference between curse and cuss, right? Even that. Like, that's even an example. That's yeah, similar. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Right. So, I mean, that's very specific in picking that out Yeah. about I, somebody. I, and I, and yeah. the other thing we need to, I feel like, point out is that we all have to assimilate to the white standard of professionalism. Like, well, Okay. Yeah, fair enough. The, the black people, we're not, we're not telling white people to say ask yeah. <laughs> or say cuss or, you know... I. Yeah. The power. So, I mean, it always goes back to who has the power. And that's the group that has the power. And they set these standards that you have to live up to. Now, whether or not you tell somebody about saying a word that way, I would shy against that. But I guess I would be interested to see what the reaction was. <laughs> yeah. So, all I can say is that you've you've definitely... Uh, reaffirmed my commit my my decision that to, to stay away from it until I know better was 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 the right call because I still don't really know better. But I guess what I would say now is I would I would be able to say I think probably what I would say is when you say and I would do this only with a trusted trusted close friends like when you say that word is that a word you consciously think of is it something that you identify with as a, your way of saying it like you know like a, somebody in the south. Uh, who That's has a draw? Not, it's not so, my way of saying it, but it doesn't bother me. If right, I hear for sure. It. But an individual yeah. might. So, like somebody in the yeah. south, if he said, "Like you sound like you're from Texas," can you get rid of that accent? Somebody from Texas is going to say, "Like hell no." <laughs> <laughs> That's how I talk. If you don't like it, move move along. And so I could easily imagine somebody who says, "Yeah, acts is the way I say it." That's the deal. It's yeah. on, it's part of my package. Uh, but uh, but I so and that's I think that's a very. Uh, specific clear way of handling it but i can hear i can flip the tables around and i can imagine that if i'm that person i can say like well i've got a choice right now i'm about to make a decision am i about to stand up for my culture and pay a price or am i going to assimilate a little bit and say yeah i mean it's just reversing of an s and a k i can do that for you (laughs) and and that's a that's and that's a really big decision for somebody and black people do that every day so again let's go back to that's always been our experience it's always been something you're too loud you're too much fun you laugh too much you joke too uh, that it's been our whole life so and you're right, it is a decision every time about whether or not you're going to stand up and say no, because this is how I am, or if you're going to assimilate. Or code switch is the other word or phrase that's used a lot. What does um, that mean? It's the same. You go into a mm. or more of you act differently with different people. So like with your friends who are like you, there's your slang and there's your, hey, what's up? But at work it is, well, hello, how are you? And good morning. How can I help you? code switching so Hmm. you have to be different in your different environments because you recognize that there is this white standard of professionalism and if you're anything other than that it's going to be held against you that's incredible because we've all experienced it right everybody yeah every white person who's my age or older knows uh eddie haskell and uh eddie haskell was the beaver cleaver character who was the super um troublemaker 
with his friends and the most polite kid in the neighborhood with the parents. And it was, and so the Eddie Haskell switch of like, oh yes, Miss Cleaver. Oh yes, Mr. Cleaver. Just super, super polite. Oh, that's, that's your best friend right there. And then when when you get him in the, so as a kid, you know, you cuss around your friends and you, and I say cuss, that's my word. Uh, (laughs) I don't say curse. Um, uh, You know, and then I, around parents where you don't, you don't cuss around parents. But as I've gotten older, uh, that's that little my code version of code switching, which clearly is not as existential as, as yours. I just I do it less, and I get old. And I swear a lot more, and I swear around my kids, which is probably not great. But I, but you know, it's uh, it is interesting how uh, that uh, concept of that context switching of who do I talk to? No, I do I do self regulate uh, to some extent. As this is kind of stream of consciousness, like there are certain teams I'm around that uh, that they 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 sense I sense they need some edge and I bring some edge and there are other teams they're just they don't need that edge and, and I put the edge away so there is a little bit of self awareness that I think everybody needs to bring to their situation um, so I guess I agree but I I would say that there are differences there are I obviously mean, the consequence the, the consequence is the difference like if very yeah. different yes yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's kind of like, you know, the white person who was raised in Corpus Christi telling you that um, they're, they were a minority and they understand how you feel. <laughs> I'm guessing you're thinking of an actual situation. <laughs> you don't. You don't know. You don't know how yeah. I feel. You yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I do think that I, I think that there's not enough of these conversations. And I'm hoping this conversation, because I love this conversation. This is the kind of conversation that happens. I think all too rarely and very almost never publicly. And, but I've had a, a kind parts of these conversations privately and they're, and I think what makes them so useful is that they don't have a, a war cry attached to them. Uh, there's no, there's no movement here. It's a very human consideration of like, you know, when I walk into a room, this is what, how I feel. And this is, and this is the concept. These are the consequences to me, which is totally different than a riot. And I'm and I'm right. and I'm not trying to associate you with a riot, but I but no, I am I, the the subjects are conflated in in yes. in in, uh, in in the politics and in the news. You know, now nobody's nobody thinks a riot's good. No one right. thinks a riot's good. I'm just I'm sorry. Like you know, if you're politicizing th- this around, like there's someone who wants a riot. There's no one who wants a riot other than maybe po- politicians and political uh, strategists who see a, an election impact to that. A value out of it yeah. for them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think even the rioters aren't wanting a riot, but they want change. So, yeah. I mean, I can certainly understand that. I'm not a rioter, but I can certainly understand wanting change. I would also say that I think it takes all different kinds to try to push for the change that we need. Um, so, I mean, even, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn and there are different voices on LinkedIn, even as it relates to Black Lives Matter and the way one person approaches a subject versus somebody else. We're different and we need all of our differences there trying to, again, push for this change. Progress. That's what we want. We want to see progress. People want. I know I would love to wake up and feel equal. I don't even know if that's going to happen in my lifetime. And I just don't feel like white people think about that for themselves. They don't wake up being like, am I going to be equal today? They don't wake up wondering if somebody that they love will be killed or stopped by a police officer. You know, those are the differences that make it not political, that make it about how do I just get to exist in this world peacefully? Well, I bet, you know, it, it's, it's easy to speak in superlatives. Um, I, I bet there are some white people who do have some of those fears, but I, I, but I definitely agree that um, 
that's not the norm. Certainly not. That's not the life I've experienced. I, I did, I've not ever woken up wondering, um, you know, if if prejudice was going to ruin all of my plans for my day and maybe my life. So I, I hear that, and that that is, like I said, that is the biggest game changer for my perspective on this. And seeing things like how how does someone really really support change and, and my belief is started especially with this conversation and the things i've been doing lately you know it really starts with cleaning your own house mm-hmm. i mean it's one thing to put on a t-shirt uh and wear a hat and and i and i'm not i'm not sure that actually helps right you know I, I see black lives matter uh banners in people's windows and friends wearing shirts and hats and i and i'm like what does that do i'm i'm not, I'm not saying don't do it because right. i think the people who I would if you see a white guy with a Black Lives Matter shirt. Does that is that is that positive to you? It is okay. So that's good. So that part is certainly good. I don't it think probably, it changes a lot of minds though. But it probably makes that guy feel better too. So in a good I, way. In a good way. Okay. So yeah, I feel fair. like there's some value there too. So yeah. if that's the only way that they can support, or that's the first way that they support, I'll take it. Let's do that. Um, well, that, but yeah, does, that, yeah, that goes to my point. Be, it's, it's small steps, small yeah. steps. You, you, I think that the revolutionary change is very expensive, right? Expensive in yeah. time, life, damn, it's damaging. Like yeah. if we if we have revolutionary change, and I'm not saying we don't need revolution because sometimes we really do. I do, I am a believer in that we are the human race, and sometimes violence is our only communication. And I'm not. Ex- ex- I'm saying war, right. war is right. war, war is war. When, when, and when all other things fail, peaceful protests about. And I'm certainly. I realize what I just said could have sounded like I was. Um, I'm advocating riots and violence, and I'm absolutely not. What yeah. I'm more saying is that like sometimes two dogs fight it out, right? Some that's a, that's yeah. a, it's a natural thing that happens, and and when violent revolutions and overthrows happen, happen in the most extreme of extreme of historical circumstances where lives are lost sometimes that is all that nature could give us but it is so damaging you do, you do not come out the other side of a, of something like that uh, without having years or decades or in certain cases centuries of healing that have to come from that kind of change so and i think even yeah. the way people are characterizing the black lives matter movement they want to compare it like to the kkk or other hate groups but i feel like the difference is it's so yes there's an organization and i don't know about that organization's propriety with funds or fundraising or anything i can't speak to that But aside from that organization, the movement of, again, me living in a world every day and feeling safe, going into a workplace and thinking I have equal opportunity is something completely different. And that's not political, you know, and that's not necessarily related to that organization. It's just related to black people in their lives every day, how they live it. But people always want to characterize, right? So they just want to put all of it together in this movement with this organization that's misappropriating funds and comparing it to KKK and it's spreading hate when mark that's that's not what it is yeah i agree so as soon as as soon as we attach to a movement um and again i'm not trying to take away from movements because there's a lot right. of awareness comes from it but if you're trying to negotiate your behavior against the actions of a movement that's a big move that's a, yeah. i gotta i gotta process a lot of information i gotta figure out how i'm engaging with that as opposed to something small like saying hi <laughs> <laughs> or like, uh, how are you doing today? And, uh, yeah. and and inviting somebody into your and making a little more eye contact and cleaning yeah. your own house. Like, okay, and that's a big uh, thing for me is 
Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this concept of, you know, clean your, get your own, get your own house in order before you worry about changing the world. Like just get the focus inward. And, and there's a lot of housekeeping that people can do <laughs> one-on-one. You can make a difference in one person's life and your own life by, um, just being a little more open and, and seeing some value in, in really small ways. I agree. I mean, I think it starts by looking at your inner circle. And if everybody in your inner circle looks exactly like you, you might need to do a little work on that. And that's where that going to say hello to somebody starts. <laughs> yeah, and I th- and I, I think taking that taking that because uh, I think even that step for a lot of people could be uncomfortable. Imagining if you if you think of your friend group of we'll say pick a random number twenty people twenty people in your common friend group and imagine suddenly they're half half of them are, are not white or, or homogenous or whatever capacity. Yeah. Like that's probably, that thought is probably destabilizing. And so uh, I'm saying just ask the question, you know, like look at that, sit with it. How did it get there? Well, you know, what would be different? Because the difference again, cause we're talking about all these differences is they don't need that for anything. So to have a diverse circle, they don't need that to worry about getting a job or an opportunity right. or anything. Whereas marginalized people, underrepresented people, I, we need that. Yeah. <laughs> well, know, and we I, so I guess it. the question the question to ask is, with openness and honesty, like, could there be a benefit? Could there be a benefit to my life if I had a little more diversity in it? Could there be? And I would say, I would ask anybody to ask that question with the uh, with the openness to say maybe not, but maybe. And if you well, think, if you spend some time looking around and understanding what diversity could look like, because I think that's the issue, is that you think you know what it looks like, and you think you know what it feels like, and you're like, I don't need that. But if you said, what does it look like? What would better be for me? Could I get more knowledge, more perspective, more out of my life, and then ultimately more out of my business? And, and we know that that's both, true, yeah. but just getting people to accept that it's true is the hard part, but it's true. We know it. There's studies out there that prove it to be so. Um, it's definitely true. So, so when the studies say something, what do they say? They say that your people are happier when they have more diverse friend groups or the workplace is more productive or both? De- both, but definitely more productive and also affects the bottom line. So like if you're showing diversity, you're going to appeal to a diverse customer, which is giving you more customers, which increases your bottom line. Yeah, so that, that kind of hits a nerve. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to say here uh, <laughs> because I do think um, uniqueness and a willingness to not serve all. being In other words, being all things to all people, we have the proof that that's not great. We know that's not good. All things to all people does not work. No one remembers you. You're not specific. You're generic, and it's not useful. So understanding identity of what's true about you and your company and your culture and ultimately your family and you know what's true about you and really making sure you're proud of that. Um, and particularly, I see this in religion. So I have I've worked with a lot of leaders who bring their faith into their business. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not talking about Christian trial attorneys who are putting that into their marketing. I'm not really a fan of that personally. It's a little suspicious to me, but I'm really talking about people who, when they show up at the office, they, they really are very serious about how their faith guides their decision-making. And I, and I see a lot of uh, leaders making a choice about how 
proud and how vocal and visible they're going to be with that. And I'm always uh, really kind of encouraging of like, look, this is important. Uh, you should you should put it out there. And and this is where I think the trickiness comes in because the the fear they have to overcome to do that is to say that some is to be okay with not everyone's going to like that, but the people who do are going to love it. The people who don't like it are going to go somewhere else. And so it's this whole. <laughs> Definitely, we see better results when the culture understands what's important to the leadership and all the culture plugs into that. And faith-based cultures are very powerful when they're clear and consistent and in integrity, which yes, is, a bit, is a bit of not being all... T- so, so speak to the... If we're going to be diverse, yes. how can we be unique and diverse? So if you're going to appeal to a faith-based audience, that's anybody who's faith-based, right? So I think the demographics are not as specific as... I I only appeal to white faith-based people (laughs) or whatever. I only appeal to Jewish people. I only appeal to Hindu people. We're talking faith-based. I mean, I think that's where the diversity comes from. So it's not as broad to say you're all things to everybody, but it's certainly more inclusive to say it's not just one demographic that we're looking at. So So I I hear you. And and my personal values would be very open. I am very open and I do believe in that. But speaking almost... Um, what's the word? Scientifically only, like if somebody, well, I mean, you know, the the synagogue caters to Jews, right? They have very good loyalty. <laughs> they don't cater to Christians. <laughs> they they don't. Right, but, and but so that's part of their identity, white. and so it keeps it clear. That but you don't have to be white to be Jewish, though. Okay, true. So I mean, again, we're not we're not uh, we're not going to appeal to everybody. But we're not as specific to say only white Jewish people. I was going to use a sales example of, say, like Nike. Nike released a new whatever, Air Jordan shoe. We want to appeal to the 24 to 35 age bracket demographics, right? Again, that's not everybody. But it's not specific to only black people in the 24 to 35 year old bracket. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. And I'm going to say something that's super ignorant. So So what about a brand like FUBU? They're not going to say white people can't wear it. But what and, is this? And, but does it stand? Does it, does it stand for what I was told it was? It does, like for, for us, us by us. us. Yeah. It does. It, it absolutely does. Um, but again, when you think about, there's not much black ownership in the world, and sometimes you have to create your own things to create this generational wealth, to create something that we can be drawn to. I'm. I'm actually. I think it's okay to have FUBU. Okay, well, so um, tell me more about it, that, because I, I have to believe people are, like, confused now. And so I, I, rep- representation matters, yeah. so only white people can create brands. I mean, so I think that's the bigger message. But so it's intentionally not- exclusive, isn't it? I mean, it's trying, it's trying to say, like, for us, by us. And I guess what you're saying is that, well, I mean, you can buy it, but... But is it? <laughs> I mean, if, I don't if, think it's intentionally exclusive. I think it's uh, representation. What and happens? If, what happens if, if you see a white guy wearing FUBU? Is that like what's up with that, or do you, or is that cool? <laughs> it's. I mean, everybody's different. I'm cool with it. I don't okay. have an issue with it. I'm pretty sure the creators of FUBU are not going to have an issue with it. Um, and I don't think it's. I don't think it is. I definitely don't think it's exclusive in a way that nobody other than us can wear it. But, see, but, then, it, but then what about appropriation, right? I think that's an issue as well, because it, this is complicated. And I, it is. 
this. I, 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 I we, we slow. It, I'm, moving, I'm moving pretty fast. So let's. No, wait, do we I'm should slow trying, this down because because we I'm really not shine away from it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we're on some important <laughs> important stuff here that I'm not fully in command of, and so I want to slow it down so I don't say something ultra stupid, which the odds mm. are going up every second we continue this conversation. So there is for us by us that's we got a brand we're trying to build ourselves up and now we've got white people buying it and you've got two ways to interpret that and one is like cool thank you for the support like black lives matter or it's like man white people just thinking they can borrow our culture and make it their own they don't even know what that means it's like it's like the tattoo that you know in in, in, uh, in japanese <laughs> that means i'm an idiot and they're like look check me out i got a japanese tattoo look i'm wearing fubu it, it's cool and then there's people going like you don't even know what that means so uh you know untangle that what's what's the right first step to to creating good outcomes I don't know if there's a right first step. And I do think appropriation definitely exists, right? But I don't think it's as granular as that white people buying FUBU. Um, So I think there's definitely specific things to um, appropriation that the black culture would talk about. So a white person doing black things for the audience to sell records, to get you to watch my shows or whatever, but I'm not really a part of your community. I don't really support your community. I'm not even really in there. That's appropriation. A white person wearing FUBU, it's just not the same comparison. And I think I think it's too granular to look at it in that way. Well, it creates a problem of prejudice again. Because for you to make a judgment, you have to have more details than you probably have access to in any right. given moment. You walk down the street, you see a white person wearing FUBU. That's totally different than you seeing um, somebody who is an entertainer who... Has, has got a whole um, history of behaviors right. and, and right. examples and things they're doing that you, you could draw more of a conclusion where this person is in some form of appropriation or really really being part of the culture and supporting. Uh, but anytime, I, be, yeah. I do want to be clear, though, that having FUBU, um, I don't feel like is an exclusive statement of we're keeping everybody out. I think it's more of a statement of we did want to create something because we've never had the opportunity to do that. So yeah, right. So, so I, I hear you. So I'm hearing a, something in that really deep that is not. It's really easy to 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 choose an interpretation. It's like you know, finally something designed for us, made by us, and we're proud of it. And in in the in the the people we're thinking of, the people in our minds, the people in our hearts are us. And there's no exclusion attached to that. Because nobody's can, given us anything. Nobody wanted right. us to have anything. Everybody has left us out of everything. And look, we did something. But there is an easy way to interpret that. And I think it's on both sides. I think that you could easily get defensive as a black person and say, like, no, this is ours. But, but I, I don't know. You, we'd have to go back to the leadership of, of the design to determine what intentions were. Because I, I, I do think that that exclusivity, that uh, insularity that people create is it's like an immune response as soon as you put up a wall of defense something's going to react to that on the other side of the wall and that's even even in even in cultural identity protection we if the if jewish culture is going to preserve their traditions um and and keep it visible and they're gonna their kids are gonna have holidays 
where they're not at school when the Christian kids are still at school. That's mm-hmm. highly visible. It creates a reaction, and it is clearly a difference. And differences create that divide the same way that they preserve the traditions. And so it's interesting. For every benefit, there is a cost, and for every cost, there is a benefit, and that is no different. That's true. You're right about that. So I do think in the end, there has to be some sense of both both cultures have to figure out what the common ground is. I think that I think in the end that is what has to be negotiated. These are the things we're not negotiating. This is what we identify with most closely that keeps us unified and we want this and we're not changing that. And these other things, these are our common ground. These are the things we will do together. Your language, my language, same language. Because if you don't have that, you literally can't communicate, right? You have to have a common language. Every human being to communicate with another has to have a common language, even if it's a written language, it's a third-party language that they're working through, but you have to agree. If you don't know my language and I don't know yours, we are never gonna communicate. One or both of us has to agree to learn a new language. <laughs> and so yeah. That, which happens a lot because there wouldn't be bilingual, trilingual people if it did. Right, right. But that's a concession. That's a concession. <laughs> yeah. If I only knew French and and I'm, I'm not going to learn English, well, that's choice. And I'm never right. going to speak to somebody who doesn't know French. And now I'm gonna, and that's, right. a, that's a price I pay. So right. one or both sides have to say, where are we meeting in the middle? We got to, right. there is some equivalent of, of I don't know if it's, a, I don't know if it's assimilation because assimilation sort of means, blending to let go of the differences, but it's really closely akin in some way. It's some form of compromise. It's certainly some sacrifice or commitment. It's effort. Yes. It's, it's, it, you've got to build think, the bridge. Right. And if you and build I, a bridge, you, you're, you're sacrificing resources and time from something else you could have done. So you have to, you have to contribute something. But if we use language as the example, though, learning a new language is not giving up your own. It's just giving you the ability to commun- to communicate with more people. Well, but I, I do think that there's still that's that formula of, of cost and benefit for every you know, when you literally speaking, when you learn a new language, you spend less time speaking your own and you do um, have to spend t- less time doing something else. And when people learn, uh, learn multiple languages they tend to lose some of their depth of vocabulary in one of their languages mm-hmm. because they spend so much time translating. And so, you know, if you have 50,000 words, I don't know the average language, the lexicon, but say it's 50,000 words. Um, if you add another 30,000 of another language, you, there's about 10,000 words or so of your primary language that are going to get less attention. And so as you add more languages, now, of course, brains are different and some brains can handle many, many languages much more easily. But I'll have to say that it's not, it's not a, um, it's an investment. And you spend that money and time and energy in that area and not someplace else. And it's with the intent of some form of unity. Right. Because I think what we can agree upon is that everybody wants acceptance. They want to, you know, be treated the same. They want to be included. They want to be allowed access. So, I mean, whatever agreement has to happen for that to happen. Okay. So that, that was a light bulb. We just said right now. So if I build a bridge to another community, the, sacrifice of language and time ostensibly opens up all of the resources on the other side of that of that language barrier right and we know i mean speaking somewhat conceptually here but languages are different right so the french language is very different it's got a whole set of me you characterize languages in very um 
objective differences, the, the types of things that the German language has versus Spanish versus different types of Spanish and, 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 and the Asian languages, and which are not all necessarily even related to each other. Um, there's very objective ways to describe attributes of the language, which means the cultures are different, which means there's resources there that your culture doesn't have. And so mm-hmm. it's like building a trade route. If you, if you learn a new language, you're building a trade route to another territory that you now have access to more people, more thoughts, different things, different by definition, different stuff that as we globalize our world, which that's a whole other hot button word, yeah. but basically to me that I'm using that in the context of having access to the resources of the globe rather than being tied to your local only resources. Um, you've got more opportunity to be efficient and make a bigger difference and just create just create. That's your access I mean, to create. Absolutely. Keeps going back to this acceptance of it, though. I, I mean, the example of like, for instance, I live in Texas, so we have a big Hispanic population. A lot of people speak Spanish. And there's always this thing about um, Hispanic people speaking Spanish in the workplace, like communicating with one another on break, at lunch. And people feeling some kind of way about that because they assess some something to that that's negative. So because oh, I they can wanna, speak to that, I've experienced that. Because they want to speak their native language, they're talking about me. That's rude. They should speak the language of our country. All of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And like that's a huge example to me of some of that acceptance, some of that building a bridge, some of that you can still included be included and belong well there's uh, that's a lot to unpack right there because i have experienced that um as a, as a as a young child in in summer camp the camp i went to had a lot of uh, expat um south americans and uh they looked different they acted different they spoke differently uh they were culturally ethnically different and so there was they they felt like fish out of water and so what do you do when you're a fish out of water you find your people who you're comfortable with and so they right. they uh congregated together they were more comfortable speaking spanish than english and so there were periodic rules like look hey no english only we need to include we need to make sure everybody is um has heard because there was teaming right on both sides right so you know the the the, uh, english speakers would be prejudicial against the spanish speakers and so there absolutely was you know a teaming that went on and they were talking about us sometimes and you know and there were those bilingual kids who were like yep yep you don't want to hear you don't want to know what he just said <laughs> <You know? laughs> but but that it's just a barrier right so thinking about how to how do you solve that it's tough because if you're if you're at camp for six seven weeks so that's a short amount of time to say like, hey, you know, seven-year-old Mark, um, would you like to bridge the cultural gap and learn Spanish so you can communicate with him? It's like, no, I just want to play, you know, tetherball. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just, I just want to ride a horse and sail a boat. Uh, don't want to, don't want to learn a language right now. And yet, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not efficient. It's not, it's not awesome. Yeah, but I think that's a great example though of how do we build that bridge. In that example, how do we build that bridge? I mean, I think you don't tell somebody they can't speak their native language. I, I yeah. do think maybe not seven, it's hard at seven, but as adults in a workplace, I do think that there are actions we can take or um, spaces we can enact for people to feel comfortable having the conversations about that and what that looks like. And so maybe then the assumption is not that if they're talking in their native language that they're talking about you. 
because <laughs> how have we tried to foster relationships between the groups? Well, I, I, I agree, but it, I think the simple way to just, just boil it down is like it creates fear. Lack of understanding right. creates fear. It fear's does. a problem. So yeah. that's the problem. Like it, the assumption, not helpful. The acknowledgement that there's fear, yeah, that's fair. So let's say like <laughs> when I'm out of control, when I don't know what's at play, when I don't know what they're doing, when I don't know what they're saying, how do we assuage that fear? Now there might, you, you might want to create some language protocol that you can agree upon. Like here's how we communicate, you know, and, and uh, to make sure the workplace is efficient and fear is low. Yeah. Um, but there also might be non-lingual things. There might, you know, make sure you hire yeah. well. Make sure you share people. Right. You know, make sure you don't have bad apples on the team <laughs> because yeah. a bad. I mean, thinking very tactically. If you've got a bad apple, non-culture fit on the team who is creating dissent and doing it in another language that the boss can't hear, that's bad. That's just, right. we just can't, That's bad. Right. And and that's not that's not a problem of language. It's a problem of bad hiring and, and bad leadership. Yes. But it's easy to point and to being that. equal on both sides, though. So sometimes yeah. it might be the other language speaker. Sometimes it might not be. I mean, so just again, that um, I think a lot of times it goes back to the intentional part of how an organization addresses stuff like a bad apple. Yeah, well, right. Yeah. And also just pragmatism. I mean, if you've got a, a largely Hispanic workforce and the leader of those teams does not speak Spanish, like that's not a great tactical choice. <laughs> you know? I you agree should, with you. You should think that through. That's you yeah. know, it might be it might be worth your investment to either teach that person Spanish or get somebody who does <laughs> because that there are not is not a shortage of those people and that's imminently very practical. I agree. <laughs> I, that's that was a great example. I love this part of our discussion, and we made it less like black and white, right? <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's right. That's it. I don't know how yeah. we, we yeah, managed to have a diverse conversation about diversity. There was another thing recently in the news that came out, um, and I don't know this company, but I just saw an, an article. They're called Coinbase, and they are a cryptocurrency mm -hmm. company, I believe. Their CEO, in response to a walkout that they had this past summer, sent like this you know, long email to everybody about how they were going to do things different. And what he said was regarding um, a broader societal issues and like how the company addresses it, obviously the racism and things that are going on in the world. We don't engage here when issues are unrelated to our core mission because we believe impact only comes with focus. I thought that was interesting not the approach I would take because I think that people should have the opportunity to express themselves or talk about or feel safe in their company when it comes to broader societal issues. I'm going to use his phrase. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but I thought it was interesting to come out and, you know, just make this statement about it. And so did you like the statement or are you still trying to decide what you feel about it? I don't like the statement. Okay. I understand it. Well, maybe I shouldn't say I don't like it. I don't agree with the okay. statement. Maybe that's right, a right. better way to say it. I don't agree because I I think that that's another way of tone policing, policing behavior, policing, period. Like you can't come here and talk about mm. you woke up scared today because another black person was killed by a police officer. Right. Or you yeah. can't, feel it. Yeah, you fair can't enough, show right? that. You okay. can't have feelings about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not making a statement about Black Lives Matter. We're not even, you know, talking about it because I got it does not impact. <laughs> so here's know, how I here's mission. how I tease that out, because uh, I'm always focusing my clients around um, 
the three to seven core values, like what's most important to you. And, and I do agree focus matters. And I do agree that you shouldn't get distracted on things outside of, of where you play. Um, but there is also this concept, there's core values, but there's also other types of values. There's aspirational values, which are the things that we wish we were, but we're not. <laughs> core values are actually real. Um, there is uh, another one called accidental values, which, which are things that are sort of the, a part of our past, but not a part of our future, which isn't as relevant. But there's this other concept we call permission to play values. And these are things that are unspoken. These are things that are basic. So like, you know, one of our core values at bank, you know, bank Y is honesty, really <laughs> like you, you think bank across the street is like doesn't value honesty uh and and so you know and we, we, we value dishonesty over here you know so it's we, we shouldn't have to have that conversation like if you steal like you're fired like i'm not putting right. that on the website we don't tolerate stealing like no you're just fired and so i think the point you bring up is uh as issues are peripheral and political like look we don't play politics we that's not what we do that's a fair statement we don't yeah. tolerate inhumanity, however. And so if you, you have to be aware and say like, you know, we didn't put that on the website, but <laughs> we didn't think we had to. <laughs> and so now we're going to have to step up and say, we, we didn't talk about that before, but we are now because we think it's an assumption, a basic human right. Thinking, I mean, back to, I mean, really, basic, if, we're, if we're talking about conversations around basic human rights, no, that's not on the website. The Constitution did that. So we, we might weigh in on basic human rights uh, if, um, if, that, if we think it's relevant. I think that would I also be feel like the proof's in the pudding. So is their organization diverse? Do people feel included? Do they retain people? Um, I think that would also tell a lot about this organization and I didn't look at any of that, but I just thought it was interesting that the CEO would make such a statement because it was in response to, and the walkout was fueled by his not wanting to answer a question about Black Lives Matter in like an all hands meeting Mm -hmm. that they had in the summer. So the employees walked out because they felt like he wasn't taking a stand on it. Um, So I just... I don't know. See, that's so, that's so that. tricky because I back to my earlier point around the movement of Black Lives Matter, man, super dicey. I think right. because I because I do not think it is all equal. You know, there there are lots of behaviors that you could pull apart and tease apart, you know, bad tactic, good tactic, you know, misguided and but all in the right best interest. So that that's one thing. Right. Um, if you were able to take that like look, I'm tra- I can't tease apart the Black Lives Matter movement, but I can tell you that I support equality and equity in the workforce and, and diversity, I think is a really important thing. Right. That, that's a statement that could be made, but I, would it, would you think right. that audience would have accepted that? Uh, it's hard to speak for them. I, I would <laughs> say, enough, I, I would say, <laughs> I would say yes, any reasonable person. Um, because again, I think if you're, so even me as a black woman, I mean, I, you, I got to meet people where they are. So if at least you're, willing to engage in the conversation and have some thoughts about it that make sense and that feel inclusive to me, I'm going to have to give you some value in that. Right. And so I'm not going to be like, well, that's not enough. And what else? And blah, blah, blah. If he had had a response like the one that you just had, that would have been enough for me in that moment. And then again, it would have been, what do we do going forward? And so what does it look like in our numbers? How are we retaining people? How does everybody feel included? You know, then it would become about those things. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that, um, and I, at the risk of making it seem like I've got the right way to think about this, and, and, I, and I don't want to leave that impression because I'm still so new to this. But I do think that most people don't separate 
the real issues from the from the political headlines and the and, I the, agree and, with and, you. and the battle cries. And it's like you know, how do you have a conversation that separates your personal values from? Do you support Black Lives Matter or not? I, I don't think people would realize they have a choice that they could answer it that way. I don't, I, the, you have to answer that question exactly as worded. That's not the case, though. Like, well, I I would like to take issue with the question. Let's take a step back. And that's not that's not that easy to do. Because it could have been he maybe lacked some education about the difference right. too, right. so to, that he didn't even know. Um, but I think what this later response shows, Mark, though. Is that he still doesn't have that distinction? <laughs> well, to your point, it, yeah, the results speak for themselves. Yeah, you you, yeah. you, you didn't enroll them. They you, uh, you didn't do your homework. Yeah, um, and or you tried something that didn't work. That's a thing that happens all the time. Yeah, that's true. That's I definitely true. support that approach, and sometimes the, the costs are higher than others. Uh, I mean, you know, you think Netflix, uh, we're going to separate the company. It's like, that didn't work. That was a very expensive choice. So, okay, we're going to roll that back. One company again. Uh, lots of lots of expense from, from a mistake at that level. Uh, so, yeah, I do, the leadership really is about, in my estimate, not about being right. I mean, we want to accumulate wins for sure but real leadership is about uh saying i'm not exactly sure what the right outcome is but i'm willing to accept the results that uh, we're going with i'm making the decision Hope, hopefully it's the right one if it's not we'll find out and it's on me when we do that and then yeah. we will, and then we will learn and we will correct and we will take another run at it and that is leadership in my estimate and that's the important part and i think more often than not you will get to write if you're willing to learn and go through things and see what works yeah. And there's only one rule. I mean, I teach a system of tools to, to, to really help people get what they want from their business. Uh, and there's, there's exceptions and rules all over the place. Um, there's a, and and, and I, there's only one rule that I absolutely enforce. And that is, if it works, do more of it. And if it doesn't work, do less of it. <laughs> Let's yeah. just be imminently practical. Uh, you know, we have ways, we have ideas, and and sometimes we got to adapt, uh, but never lose sight of the sanity check. Like, is it working? Yeah. Is it working? <laughs> you yeah. Are you getting what you thought? And, 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 and did you lose the battle? How's the war going? You know, uh, that's, you know, losing a battle is not the end of the war. But And that's why milestones are so important. Yeah. I mean, you have milestones in any type of, anything that you're trying to do because that's the check-in to see is this working or <laughs> do we need to redirect or go back to the drawing board yeah so do you think we're going in the right direction right now culturally integration uh, such a hard question <laughs> that's what we do here i think we are certainly having conversations about it as we should um i think Personally, I probably feel like the change is not fast enough, but maybe it is fast enough. Um, I think now that we are months into, you know, this civil rights movement of 2020, as I'm calling it, we're months into it now. And I think that we should start seeing real change. But when I see things in the news like this CEO of Wells Fargo, this CEO of this company that I just talked about. When I see things like, oh, we shouldn't ask the president about to take a stand against white supremacy because that's his <laughs> his uh, voter base. Like when I see stuff like that, it doesn't convince me or make me feel good that we are having true change because this is current information still coming out about the way people think about it. And that is scary to me. 
yeah, I I I hear you, and but we've seen history, uh, and change is slow. Change is it's just really. I, I mean, I'm not the right social scientist. <laughs> I'm not a social scientist <laughs> well, at all. Well, neither one of us. We're neither uh, one of us are social scientists. But, like. but I, you know, you do see the friction, right? So, if you, so dramatic change that's that's forced into a community is met with resistance and passive aggression and, and active aggression and active, uh, you know, the whole. I mean, Juneteenth. Like, how much active resistance did it have? Was it was it two years? Two years from the end of slavery till the finally finally everybody knew, or was it one year? Um, actually, I think it was more than that. Long time, yeah. <laughs> okay. Long time, not two months, and so yeah. I think it was two years. And so before, um, people, you know, that's that's what you deal with. And that if you're going to exact a change through some sort of control order, a changing a law, or doing something like that, where people say like, "Well, it's out of my hands," you take the control out. That yeah. means you've got a whole period of time of people either accidentally discovering they like it uh, and 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 adopting it. Or just for lack of conviction, accepting it, or eventually dying, right? <laughs> you know, that's so much of um, the, the past has had to wait for the holders of those beliefs to die, right? Like, like people, many, many, many people never were open to change of thinking and still aren't. And they will have to die for those beliefs to to, to go away, and that's yeah. that's a that's a that's a natural human reality, I think. And so I, I tend to think of like if we can make smaller changes that are more digestible, and in terms of like be open to more people in your community as opposed to dramatic dramatic change, I do think it could make things go faster because it's consistent and it's and it's uh, creates a cycle of positive feedback as opposed to creating a barrier and a wall that now people fight against the rest of their life. But like yeah. I like I don't know how I don't know how you do that widespread because everything ends up being labeled and becomes a, a battle line. And I think we also won't we won't see it widespread. Like that's not what's going to be in the news either. So, I mean, I'm hopeful that there's change going on that I don't know about, you know, that's not making the news. Um, personally, I do always talk about individual behavior. So as I have different conversations with individual people, that is what I talk about, like how a person individually activates their own power. Lots of conversations about just expanding your circle, like it starts there, um, giving value to people's experiences. I think that's so important. The learning has to continue about how things are different. And then the acceptance, right, of the disparity that exists in our world. I mean, I feel like there's still a lot of people who don't even accept that there is disparity. And it's there. So. Oh, for sure. If if we continue to have these types of conversations and there are people out there taking action that we don't know about. I mean, I'm hopeful. Yeah, I'm hopeful, too, (laughs) because I I think what you said is exactly right, that there are people who don't think there's anything going on, don't get it. And they and they characterize race relations as um, previous generations' problems that I'm expected to pay for, and, and 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 so they're like, I don't feel it, I don't sense it. And then there's like this conversation where we're saying like, well, no, it's a it's a thing every day, every second of every day. There's a different world. I have to in- decipher whether um, I'm, you know. There's a there's a COVID fear. That's why they cross the sidewalk. You know, it, the words I say you know, yeah. trigger a response. Uh, you know, everything is this meta conversation of 
you know, the person I'm talking to, what is their filter? How, how, con- how worried do I have to be about a, a, a mistake be- being interpreted as something else? And then, uh, and then there's, you know, I think this, the simplest thing that, that I think could be the most powerful piece of this is just listening to a conversation like this, having a conversation like this. I, I, I personally observed that my friends, and today's different, but I guess I hope today's different than it was 20 years ago. But if I had had this yeah. conversation with with um, my black friends, um, my other white friends would have been scared out of their mind. Yeah, and, I mean, even saying the word black to a black person was so like oh, I can't say that. Like I know they're black; they use that word. I mean, uh, which by the same token, it's it's a uh, you know the N word. That's not safe, you know. So. Uh, and, and, and white people have never really fully understood that. I think maybe right. now there's some more more awareness of that. That you know, that, wait, even that's a whole the awareness, right? even the awareness of knowing not to say it. <laughs> so even if you don't fully understand why not, just knowing not to say it, I think is definitely progress. Yeah, and I think it's as good as an example of, of anything. Of like, it's it just shows that there's not communication, right? Yeah. You know, Eminem had a song where he used the word and he used it and he recorded it. And Dr. Dre is like, no, you're not going to do that. And he's like, yeah, I am. And like, no, you're not. <laughs> and, and, and he, and he relented. And so, and a guy who was totally like, you know, F the world, you know, I'm going to do it. He's like, no. Okay. And apparently they got on the same page, <laughs> but that was, that's just a good example of like this. These are two guys who were friends, and 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 they were still not clicking on that, and so that's just that's a, a that we got people who are not friends trying to communicate around things yeah. that we think we're communicating, and we're not. We're not. We're and so we gotta have. I th- I think that ultimate reinforcement of this entire conversation is to me is that it the whole thing is conversation we got to learn the language we keep thinking we have the same language and and we don't we don't have the same language and so the only way to figure that out is to try it and keep getting the reps and having conversations and saying what did you mean i meant this well that's not what it sounded like (laughs) i will say that in my own circle whether it's a work peer or friend or whatever, I have been hearing a lot more about people having the conversation in their other circles. So like um, a white coworker having the conversation with their family or making some sort of a social media post and just the response they're receiving back and the surprise that they have about somebody they've known since elementary school who doesn't think the same way they do. And just the realization of that, right? It's polarizing to them. Um, So there have been a lot of it's just in my own circle conversations surrounding that and people sharing those kind of stories with me and their surprise. And I mean, I think it's good because I can assure them that they're not the only one, um, that I understand it because I've had these same conversations and had reactions that surprised me from people that I thought I knew. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful because again, you're right, just the conversation and we're furthering it and, being able to be supportive of one another as we move to make these changes in our life to be like, despite my mom or uncle or cousin or whatever, not agreeing with me, I still think this is the right thing to do. I, I think that would be incredible. And I, I, for me, you talked about the dream of waking up for free uh, and not might not being accessible in your lifetime. You know what I, what I would dream 
based on just practicality is that a white person, a black person, or any person of color um, could have a conversation where, you know, what's it like to be black? What's it like to be Hispanic today? And neither party being afraid to have that conversation. That would be incredible. Like, if you could do that, like, that opens the door to everything. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely need more more of that. There's some there are some people out there willing to do that, but we definitely need more of that. It is the norm. I'd like I look for it to be the norm, and yeah. and it just it's going to be so hard with insularity because even yeah. somebody with the right in- intentions, uh, with no one, to, it's like you learn learn Spanish, but there's nobody to speak Spanish with. <laughs> you forget Spanish, yeah. and so so if you if you're going to speak interculturally, you got to exercise it. And nothing's going to happen if you don't spend your time around people to have that conversation with. That is definitely true. So that's definitely. certainly my call to action coming out of this, to be aware. If, you know, if there's, I mean, basically saying if I walk in a room and there's 20 people and one person of color, uh, and I walk out of that room without a conversation with that person of color, that was like, that was like my one chance. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, Mark, from today forward, you're going to make a beeline for that person? <laughs> well, see, now that sounds weird too, right? Because like, hey... You're you you have dark skin. I need oh, to talk gosh. to you. You know that that does not sound good, right? So it's it's right. that's a razor. So what, how should I do that? I feel like you can still make a beeline for him, but just okay. maybe not not just not seem so you know overt that I'm only talking to you because you're the only one in this room. But because really, honestly, because honestly, the truth is that person probably feels very, very alone. And there are very few people who would go up to them and have a conversation. It has happened to me countless times. Um, And just being an HR, being a person who can have a conversation with anybody, most times I'm fine and I'll just go talk to people. But there anyway be the one to make the first move. But there have been times where I did not. And I came away from that experience, you know, just kind of hurt by it, you know? So I think being picked out because you're the only one is definitely better than being ignored because you're the only one. All right. All right. That's air on the side of, of awkward inclusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let the, let the, you know, the awkwardness will wear, wear off the, it will. Uh, you know, then, and create maybe some learning if nothing else. So. Yes. But the leaving that room and nobody talked to you, that lasts forever. That's a that's a cut that never heals. Well, it's cumulative at least. Yeah, I mean, even so, yeah, that's and it creates that confirmation bias, and it creates yes. a whole thing of like uh, another another one of those. And and everybody's like that, right? So yeah. now I'm gonna say everybody's like that. All white people are like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably important to highlight, right? How does how does a person get to the point where every moment of their day is a little bit afraid, and that's how. It's it's yeah. a, it's a, it's it's seemingly innocuous events of seemingly innocuous choices that after 10, 15, 20 years confirm that the world is not friendly. Yeah. And there is some the world is not just friendly. I think people would say that about New Yorkers and maybe people from Boston, you know, there are some places that people are like, people are just not friendly. They don't say that about people in Texas. They say that Texas is a friendly place. So to be there and go somewhere and nobody talk to you, I don't know. It's, I don't even know if I could just put into words how it feels. It's not a good feeling. I can tell you that. I can imagine. I may feel like I would bet it was a sense of powerlessness. It's- Absolutely. Sometimes they'll want to throw a tantrum too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's that's a reaction to powerlessness, right? Because what people yeah. do when they're when they're feeling out of power is they is they, they escalate so, to the yeah. point of getting some sense of control, even if it is getting people just to look at them. Yeah, and, and that's like when when people are in the customer service line back when we had lines. <laughs> You know, yeah, the, you know they start yelling at the customer service rep. Why is that? Because they're not feeling heard. They're like, yeah. you are not telling, you are not understanding that I am not feeling served as a customer here, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get control of this situation if uh, and if if I have to do that by by raising my voice because that tends to be tends to do it tends to put me back in control when I yell and make you see me. Yeah. So th- and that's that's probably fair to know, right? So when we look at anything that's civilly unrest uh, that. That's a reaction of of, of frustration. Is. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a feeling out of control, and you, and you and you try to wrestle that control. And is it is it positive? No. Does it does it create damage? Absolutely. Mm. Um, is it a is it a human response that that we've pr- been programmed to to do? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it does bring attention to it, whatever their, you know, thing they're saying is. So for sure. While yeah, nobody attention. nobody wants riots, everybody's talking about it. Yeah. So how does it feel when somebody recognizes you? What's the best case? What's the best case? Some normal, hey, hello, how are you? <laughs> so and normalness, normal. right? Yes. It's not like, we would like to welcome our black guest. You know, that, that's, not, oh, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> or... How did you get here? Who invited you? Are you here with somebody? Don't go with those questions either. <laughs> don't don't go with that. Oh man. <laughs> I remember oh. I went I went to a UT Austin football game, right? And tickets are expensive. It was like $100. And we were like in nosebleed. And it was expensive. And we're there. And there are not many black people. And there are probably seven or eight people in our group sitting together in a row, right? And we're surrounded by white people, literally. Like, I'm not lying. And we're just there, and we're like everybody else. Somebody makes a good play. We're yay! This lady literally leans down between my sister and me because the seats are very close together. She leans down between us and says, "Oh, do you know number 83? I noticed that every time he gets the ball, like you yell." That was lit. She didn't say, "Hey, how are you? Like, are you enjoying?" That's lit. She put her head between the two of us. <laughs> And my sister literally put her hand on my knee because she knew <laughs> or she didn't know what I might say, right? Okay. <laughs> right. I'm thinking I paid a hundred dollars for my ticket too. I can yell for wherever I want. Like come on now. That's not normal. So normal is, hey, hello, are you enjoying the game? It's not normal to assume that I'm here because I know a player. I just wanted to come to a game. You know, so I think those those kinds of Ways that people approach somebody different than them happen more often than not. The not normal way to approach somebody, the off-putting way to approach somebody, that happens more often than not. So, so that to me is a is a really good example of, of like for for your from your perspective, you're like I'm a spectator like anybody. You don't see it any any different. Um, in a world of small numbers, uh, somebody on the other side is you know trying to put the patterns together, and they're right. and they're you're going to get those those type of things like all over the place and you're and you from your perspective like why would you even say that and the other person's like what was i supposed to say like (laughs) making assumptions she had to figure out in her mind why we're here and yelling for 
trying to make sense of it. Like, yeah. there's, like, a, there's like, there's no other black people, so that must mean there's something I got to figure out here. So let's, so, so let's figure this out. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. that's the connection. Yeah, and it's and it, yeah. So it's, I, I guess like that's a, such a great example of how many millions of of miscommunications we are destined <laughs> to go through. That's it's just it's an absolute guarantee. But it, but it is, it is interesting just to settle us on like the best outcome for you is essentially n- not you know no outcome in terms of like just normalness just just yeah. like you know <laughs> would, would you like it would you like an order order would you like your your glass filled up as opposed to like uh, I would like a, a glass of white please <laughs> yeah I mean it's just. <laughs> Oh, oh, you're not, oh, you're not serving? Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, do you know who is? Does somebody you know work here? Yeah. Just, just be normal. Just, <laughs> yeah, just be normal. Oh, that's, that, that sound, that, that's like the stoner line though, right? Like, just act normal, act yeah. normal. Like, what the hell is normal? Yeah. <laughs> that's not normal. <laughs> well awesome i think we've covered a ton of ground and i would love to kind of end on a super high note so the question i always ask at the end of these is uh, what is your most passionate plea for entrepreneurs right now what is my most passionate plea um get to know people who are different than you uh give value to their stories and let it change the way you do things. I love that. Just keep your eyes open, ears open. Listen, there's so much out there. Yeah. Incredible. I don't even want to mess with that. I don't want to, I want to shut up because I think that was so beautiful. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for this conversation. I've had such a wonderful time and, um, God, really so fun. I'm so, I'm so grateful for this time together and I hope it's, it was useful for people to listen and I, and I hope I don't uh, come off as, as a total ignorant, person particularly my comments around violence which i'm like terrified are gonna get i mean no uh, <laughs> i think you're being human and normal <laughs> that's normal Uh-oh. <laughs> which is to say things that we worry about later on so even when yeah. our intent when we didn't have any negative intent behind something we say things right and we just hope later on that it was okay <laughs> That's right, normal. For sure. So I'm like, it's okay. You're okay. And you talked about it afterwards. So <laughs> try, try like, oh, what did I just say? <laughs> just remember that regardless of what you say, somebody's going to feel some kind of way about it. Yeah, so. that's for sure. <laughs> well, if somebody wants to continue the conversation with you, how do they find you easily? I mean, we'll obviously put in the show notes any email address or websites you want to go to, but is there like a quick, easy way somebody finds you? I don't want to talk to anybody after this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> I am all over LinkedIn. Angela L. Shaw, if you search for me, I will come up. Please connect. I accept open connection requests. Awesome. Um, awesome. But yeah, just connect with me there. And from time to time, I might share an original thought too. So yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I can count on that. Well, awesome. Thanks so much. So that's it for today. For those of you who thought this was valuable and, want, and you think other people should hear this, please share this with them subscribe and leave comments and feedback uh it's so valuable to us to to improve things and we'll see you next time on you're doing it wrong with me mark henderson leary this is you're doing it wrong with mark henderson leary for more episodes and to subscribe go to leary.cc 